Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalms 92. Psalms 92. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. And I'm going to start on the series that I started last. I'm going to get into the series I started last week. And um, I'm not going to have a lot of time to review and kind of catch us all up. But um, you can go online, go to, Her- or to YouTube and just type in Heritage of Faith Christian Center. Or go to a website or SoundCloud, iTunes, and you can go back and listen to everything. Um, and give a hand to our, uh, our online church that, that joins us every week. Give them a hand for joining us. Thank you for tuning in every week. Families all over the world watch us every Sunday morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One of the words that we were, the word we're holding on to as we step into this next year is days of glory, days of abounding, and days of flourishing. Amen. And last week I started a series entitled Church Alive. Church Alive. And, and uh, this is, I love what uh, Margaret was saying because that's a lot of those things, the things that, that we're that going to have the opportunity that we're going to go on a journey with between now and after the first of the year on some of these things about what is the church alive? What does the church alive do? How does the church alive act? And how does, how does a New Testament church live day-to-day life? And, and, and so last week and this week, just laying a foundation. Laying a foundation. Because in my mind, in understanding um, as it pertained to church, you know, I had a, in reality, a, you know, when I was growing up, I was, I was the, the kid that asked a lot of questions. You know, the why questions. You know, the questions that, that eventually you ask enough questions that you can see the blood pressure rise in uh, your parents' face. And, and uh, why? Why? Well, why, why this? Or, or why that? And why? Well, why this? And, and so as, as, a young, as, a, as a young kid, um, you know, going to church and, you know, I was really, I wanted to know these whys. Why, why church? Why do we go to church? So I'm asking my parents. You know, uh, on Sunday mornings, well, why do we have to go? Well, why do I have to go? Why do, why do, why do, why do we go to church? Mom, why? Why? Dad, why? 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 Why do they stand up? Why do they sit down? Why do they read this? Why do they, why do they do that? And why, why, why church? And so, you know, after I got saved, uh, uh, you know, 20, almost 25 years ago now in January, praise the Lord for 25 years, um, you know, uh, you know, I got saved and I still didn't know why I went to church. <laughs> You know, I mean, we can fast forward that to, you know, 2005 and started working as associate minister in a church and in this church and, and then come on 2007 as a pastor and, and growing in that role. I, you know, even, even at that time, 2005, I still, I'm still asking myself, well, why do we go to church? <laughs> you know, because my mom heard a response, it's just what we do. <laughs> you know, after a while, it was like, because we do. You know, by the time it gets to the end, it's just what we do. And it's like, whoa, you know, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, but and because reality, a lot of times we don't know why we go to church. You're some of you are here this morning, and your spouse, your, your spouse drug you here, and they're kind of you're, you're still trying to figure out that same question: Why am I here? Uh, you know, you're you might be a youth, and you're like, well, why am I here? And and and, and so forth. But but the reality, uh, church is so much more than what man has established it to be. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about church. 
you know, church has kind of come down to really, in my opinion, and what I've seen in my walk and being in ministry and even watching people come and go and being a part of churches, organizations, um, overseeing. We have about 175 ministers that we oversee around the, around the country and around the world that are ordained under us. And, and, and so, and so we, we, we deal with a lot of people. A lot of things we've seen is church has become a matter of convenience. It's a matter of my attendance is based on my schedule instead of my priority. And, and if we're not careful, we will treat church as something that's convenient. We'll treat it as something that isn't much value because in a lot of thought process people have, well, it's just something that man came up with, um, you know, that we do. And, um, but man didn't establish the church. Uh, God established the church. Jesus is the head of it. And the Holy Spirit is the director of it. And so the church is a big deal. Say big deal. Now, the word church is a word in the Greek called ecclesia. And what that word means, it means called out one. So, so church in itself is not a structure. See, because the mindset that people have is the church is the structure. But the church is actually the called out ones. It's, it's the people. Yeah, we came to a building, but, but ultimately it became church the moment we, that, that more than one person decided to come together. Where two or three are gathered there in my name. And see, there's a lot of people that are gathering in churches, I believe all the world. And I believe some places Jesus might not show up because they might not be gathered in his name. We might be gathered in out of convenience or gathered out of to do my ritual or gathered. You know, church isn't isn't church is something I believe is on the heart of God. Because you're on the heart of God. See, what is church? Church is, is where we have, it's where those that have experienced the love of God have come together and share that experience. What, why, why the church? Well, it's the people coming together that have had an experience and have met Jesus. And what they do is they locally come together to fulfill God's plan in the earth. So really, the called out ones aren't just about coming to a building, but it's about us coming together ultimately to fulfill God's plan in the earth. So like I said, I'm just, I'm just staying with, with really some foundational stuff here because you need to see something that, 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 ch- that church is a big deal. And uh, in, in Psalm 92, verse 12, it says, those that are, verse 13, those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts. You know, I just came off of a series talking about be planted. And we, we unpack this for a number of weeks about being planted, being, being, being rooted and, and being planted, being established. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. What's the definition for flourish? It means to break forth and bud. It's like if you had planted something and when that plant uh, flourishes it, when it starts breaking forth and budding, what is meant and producing, what is it meant to, to produce? You know what? God, has created you for a purpose. He, he, he has deposited you in, in, in the earth and, and he wants you to be planted in him. He wants you to be planted in his church. He wants you to be planted so you can break forth and flourish, so you can break forth and bud. And what God deposited on the inside of you when he made you to come out and affect the world around you. But oftentimes people don't flourish because we're not planted. Now, remember, I'm not talking about being planted necessarily. There is value in being planted in the, in the church as heritage of faith. 
But we need to see the church, like I said, beyond just a structure. The, the church is a place, but it's not a structure. You know, you know, in a, one of my favorite scriptures in Hebrews 10, verse 24, it says, provoke one another unto love into good works and forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. I'm not going to take time to expound on that, but, but he makes a point, provoke one another to love and to good works and, and forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So there's something important on God's mind about us assembling together as the called out one. Say I'm a called out one. Hallelujah. Church is a big deal. Let's go to, let's go to first Timothy chapter three, first Timothy chapter three. Thank you, father. First Timothy chapter three. Psalm 92 said those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's writing to the, the bishops and the deacons here, and he's talking to them about their role in church and how they're to live and how to they're con- conduct themselves. And he's talking to, this is a letter to Timothy, which is the pastor of Ephesus. Um, Paul, I believe, and the scholars believe that Paul probably stayed there and preached and pastored the church of Ephesus for about five years. And it was a mega church at the day of that day. I've been to Ephesus and there's reports, there's writings about people, how many people would come because he would daily teach in certain places. And there was that place where thousands of people would gather to hear him speak. And so he was there for a number of about five years or so. And, and so then he deposited Timothy as the pastor of, of the church of Ephesus. And I, you'll see why I said that here in a moment. In first Timothy three, verse 14, it says, these things write I unto you, hoping to come unto you shortly. But if I tarry long that you may know how that you be, need to behave in behave thyself in the house of God. So I'm writing to you, Timothy, the pastor. So you know how to behave in the house of God. <laughs> See, when Jesus comes into your life, he, his, the attitude, the aspect of grace wasn't to come into your life and cause you to be a Christian for you to stay the same. Grace came into your life to make you more in the image of Jesus. So, so here, the whole aspect is, is if I tarry long, I want you to know how you should behave yourself in the house of God. Then it explains what the house of God is, which is the church of the living God. Meaning, Timothy, there, there, you, you need to come to a place where you know how to behave so you can teach other people. He goes on in other chapters and talks about imparting this to other men also. And then so, so anyway, he's saying here, he's saying, so you know how to behave in the house of God. What is the house of God? It, then he tells us the church of the living God. Now get this, which is the pillar of all truth. Wow. Say the church is a big deal. You see, the house of the Lord, it's the church of the living God. Man, I, I've been, had the opportunity to go to Europe and see some amazing cathedrals and see some amazing things. But you know what? God's not there. Well, if people are showing up there and worshiping God, he's there. You know, I'm so grateful that it says he doesn't dwell with temples made with hands anymore, but in, but in hearts, right? We're called out ones. We're the church. 
And to understand this ecclesia, this, these called out ones, it is the church of the living God. Church was, churches were never meant to turn into museums or monuments. They are meant to be ever living, ever breathing, ever progressing, ever expanding, ever growing, ever transforming, ever influencing whatever society it's in. The church of the, he's a living God. It's the church of the living God. So if we're the church of the living God, wherever the church is, there should be something living. There should be an atmosphere. There should be encounters. There should be evidences. There should be expansion. There should be, there should be evangelism. There should be love. There should be revelation. There should, why? Because he's the living God. We don't come together and, and just gather in this place to celebrate that something that used to be. No, we're celebrating something that is and be transformed into what that is and being, being that in the earth around us because the church needs to be alive. When Jesus was talking to the disciples at one time in, in Matthew chapter 16, he turns to his disciples and he goes, who, who do men say that I am? And you know, the disciples said, some said, say Elijah, some say, say, um, you know, um, Jeremiah, some say one of the old prophets. And, but he says, who do you say that I am? See, it's not about the revelation of everyone else in the world has about Jesus, but it's about the revelation that you have about Jesus. See, the world doesn't dictate my revelation of Jesus. And so he says he is the church. He, and, then, and Jesus says this to him. He, 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 Peter says this. He goes, he goes, you are Christ. The anointed one. You're the Messiah. You are Christ. The one that has been anointed by. You are the Christ, the son of what? The living God. What is the church? It, what is the house of God? It's the church of the living God. What is Jesus? Peter says, you're Christ, the son of what? The living God. Not a living God, but the living God. It's the, there's not more than one way to heaven. It, it does, I, I'm sorry, I am, I am sold. And there's not more way. Being good isn't your ticket into heaven. If that was the case, then we would have never needed Jesus. It's, he's the son of the living God. So the church is established because Jesus tells Peter, he says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but this was revelation from heaven. This was an open heaven speaking into your heart, Peter. And it's upon this revelation that I'll build my church. Now, the church wasn't to be built on Peter. <laughs> doesn't matter if we call him Pope or not. It wasn't built on Peter. It was built on the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. The church should be built on the fact that Jesus is the son of the living God. And it's upon this revelation that I'll build my church. Why? Because we're called out ones. How did you become a called out one? Because you believed that he is the son of the living God. And I love how Revelation is progressive. If you go to Acts chapter 2 and you look at Peter, he gets baptized in the Holy Ghost. And, and, they're, and they're, they're filled with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And he stands up and he preaches the gospel. He starts talking about the Old Testament and brings out some things. And, and all of a sudden he says, and this, and this God, the one you crucified, God made him both Lord and Christ. 
So not only what now was, was Peter saying he's Christ. Now he's saying he's so much more than Christ. Now he's Lord. He's Lord and Christ. And what happened? The church was birthed. The church was birthed. What on a revelation that Jesus is Lord and he's the Christ. You know what? And he's the same yesterday, today and forever. He's Lord and he's Christ. He's Lord and Christ in this place right now. He's Lord and Christ in this place right now. Let's go to Revelations. Thank you, Father. Before I read Revelations, I want to just read a couple of scriptures to you and may say it too quick for them to put it up on the, the, the screens. But, but just listen to this. Paul talked to Timothy and said, the house of the Lord, which is the church of the living God. Church, alive. Church is a big deal. Say it again. Church is a big deal. Now, if you look at the, the writings that, that Paul gives us in Ephesus, which is where Paul started the church and where Timothy took over. Let's look at some scriptures real quick. You don't need to just write these down. Ephesians 1, verse 20 through 23. And he put all things in every realm in subjection under Christ's feet, feet and appointed him as the supreme and authoritative head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills and completes all things with all believers. Chapter 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens outside, outsiders without rights of citizenship, but you're fellow citizens with the saints, God's people, and you are members of God's own household. And it talks about, and we are built up for a habitation unto God. The last verse in chapter two, last verse in chapter two. Church is a big deal. Chapter 3, it talks about the church and the fact that when, you know, the famous prayer that we read that Paul says that I pray that you would be strengthened with all might in your inner man, that you would know the love of God, the lengths, the depths and the heights and to, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that you might be what filled with all the fullness of God unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask, think, dream or imagine. Now get this unto him be glory in the where church. Chapter four, the, the whole aspect of the church, he brings up that he, that he put gifts in the body, pastors, prophets, evangelists, and teachers through the work of the ministry, what to the edifying of the body, to the building up of, of the body of Christ. Then it talks about that where every joint would supply. The church is a big deal. Yes. In Ephesians chapter five, he talks about, compares husbands and wives to the church. He says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And at the very end, he goes, I speak concerning the church. He also says that he's coming back for what a glorious church. Man, man, church is not a matter of convenience. It's not a matter of can I fit it in my schedule or not. It's not it should never be about, well, I went last week. It's the church of the living God. It's the church of the living God. It's not coming to church to do your duty. It's not coming to church to say, well, I, I made God happy today. No, it's a place where we grow up and become everything he's created and established the church to be. You see, I, I believe that God establishes churches in communities, not just to be places of gatherings, but I believe he establishes churches in communities to change the culture of a community. 
And at Heritage of Faith, that's what God has called us to do is to change the culture of South Fort Worth and Crowley, Texas and our surrounding areas and wherever you might live. The church of the living God. Let's go to Revelations. Revelations 1. Let's start in verse 18. I am he that liveth. Now in my Bible, my words are in red. So who's speaking here? One thing I don't understand with Revelation is people have made the book of Revelation so dark and deep. And But if you just read the first chapter of Revelations, you know why it was written. Even let us look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. We can stop there and we know why the book was written. Revelations. Well, it's about this. Yeah, it has a lot of things about the future. It has a lot of things about, about what's to come. It has a lot of things about heaven. And so, but what is the bottom line that we should get from Revelation? It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Who's what? The head of the church. Look at verse 4. Then we see who he's speaking to. John to the seven churches. So he's speaking to churches. Why? Because church is a big deal. <laughs> Hallelujah. If I stepped on some toes this morning. Verse 18 says, I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And then Jesus even says, Amen. See, Jesus even Amen himself. You know, you got to love that. Amen. Meaning, meaning, period, bottom line, so be it, I'm him. I'm alive. Whether you like it or not, I'm alive. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things that shall be hereafter. The things you've seen, the things that are, and the things that shall be hereafter. So we see in Revelations, it's talking about what were, the things that are, and what shall be. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in the right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, which people believe those are actually the pastors, the messengers. And the seven candlesticks, which you saw, are the seven churches. So, is bottom line, we know who he's talking about. Seven churches, seven candlesticks, and there's seven churches, right? With seven pastors, okay? Now, let's look at verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things, says he, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, what again, what were the seven candlesticks? Churches. The churches. Now, now get, a, get a picture of this one because I want, want us to take on a, I want us to go on a journey this morning, all right? And just seeing how the Holy Spirit directs this this morning. Now, this is Jesus speaking to churches. And he's telling them, he says this, the, who walks in the midst of the seven churches. Now, this is after Jesus had died at the cross. This is written in John, in, in uh, the Apostle John's time. So whether A.D. 60 or A.D. 90, depending on, on, on who you read after. And so Jesus is speaking to him. And he tells, in present tense, that Jesus walks in the midst 
of the churches. I want that to settle in for a moment. Why should church be alive? Because Jesus walks in the midst of the church. He walks in the midst of the church. See, we have this understanding that, that God is way up here and, and he doesn't want to necessarily relate to you where you are. But, you know, he's, he wants to be personal with his church. He wants to move in his church. But in a lot of places, he's not allowed to move. Church isn't about growing numbers. Numbers represent people. But numbers aren't a sign if your church is alive or not. See, a, a lot of times with, with Jesus, people have lost their wonder of Jesus. And they made church the deal, or they made ministry. See, don't make ministry the God. Don't, don't make growing the church a God. Make Jesus Make Jesus the wonder. See, churches failed and ceased to be effective when Jesus is no longer the big deal. I don't want us to lose our wonder of Jesus. Because you know why? He wants to walk in the midst of our church. Where two or three there, he's there in, in his name, or there's he's in the midst. He's in the midst of of them. So believe, believe the word. Believe the word that Jesus wants to be in your midst. Invite him into your midst. As a husband and wife, you need to invite him into your midst, right in the middle of where you are. You can have church anywhere. Amen. You see, we see, Pastor, you know, see, it's, it's not about the church. If it wasn't about the, uh, this aspect as well, see, people try to, they, they do one thing to get rid of the other and realize it, it's all of it. Yes. If, if it, church in this aspect, in this building wasn't a big deal, why do you say I put gifts in the body Come on. Come on. to edify it and to build them up and perfect the saints? Yes. So it's, it, if it's just about your personal relationship with him and you have church that way, you are deceived. Because it's beyond you. It's so much bigger than you. It's so much bigger than your ministry. It's so much bigger than your calling. It's, so much, it's, it's to affect the world. And if you made it about your ministry, you've stopped making it about Jesus. If you made your worship about a song, you've, not, you've made it, you stopped making it about Jesus. Church is supposed to be alive. Why? Because Jesus walks in our midst. Man. It was the, it's the heart of the Father from the beginning, Kenny. Go, go to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus 26. It's like, oh, Pastor Justin getting Old Testament on us now. Well, has God changed? Has his heart changed? I'm not talking about being under the law. I'm talking about... The Old Testament were type and shadows so we could see how uh, the new covenant. 
Leviticus 26. And while you're making your way there, just think in the garden in Genesis 3.8, it said that, talked about God and how he walked in the midst of the garden. See, he, he wants to walk in right where we are. He, he wants to be right where you are. What does he say? Call upon me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things. If he didn't, if he didn't mean that, why did he say it? Call me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things. See, you, you need to realize that Jesus wants to show up in your life. Why? Because you're a called out one. Amen. Hallelujah. In Leviticus 26, I could read this whole chapter, but I mean the verse 13 verses, but let's just start in verse 9. He says, I will be leaning towards you with favor. Man, this is God speaking, if you didn't know. I will lean towards you with favor. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can I, can I go to your neighbor and say, I'm leaning. I'm leaning towards you with favor. See, God is leaning towards you. You know what? That means he is ready. He is ready. He wants to do something in your life. He's leaning towards you with favor and regard for you. Now, rendering you fruitful, multiplying you and establishing, uh, establishing and ratifying my covenant with you. And this sounds like days of glory. It sounds like days of flourishing. It sounds like days of abounding. He's leaning towards you with favor. And you shall eat the abundant old store of produce long kept and clear out the old to make room for the new. See, some of we, we need, you need to get out the old things. You need to stop living the old way and start living some new ways because he wants to do something, but you've tied his hands. He wants to, God's not holding anything back from his creation. He gave us everything when he gave us Jesus. 11, I will set my dwelling in and among you. Where is he going to set his dwelling? In and among you. <sighs> Just say, God wants to hang out with me. Oh. You see, you've, got, you've got to get to know the heart of God. People a lot of times are weak in faith because you don't know the heart of God. I will set my dwelling in and among you and my soul shall not despise or reject or separate itself from you. God's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. And I will now get and I will walk in and with and among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Verse 13, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt and you shall no more be slaves. And I've broken the bars of your yoke and made you to walk upright. Wow. See, he wants to walk with you because he wants to take you from where you are to where he wants to be. Where he wants you to be. Go to Deuteronomy 23. He wants to walk in the midst of the church. He wants to walk and dwell among us because he wants us to experience and walk in freedom. Deuteronomy 23. Thank you, Lord. Verse 12, thou shalt have a place also without the camp, whether thou shalt go forth abroad, and thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapon, and it shall be, when you will ease thyself abroad, thou shalt dig therewith, and shalt turn back and cover which comes from thee. Verse 14, for the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp. 
to deliver thee and to give up thine enemies before thee. He wants to walk in your midst to deliver you. He wants, to walk in your, he wants to walk in your midst to bring change to your life. He wants to walk in your midst to, to do something more than you could do in your own. Amen. Jesus relied on the Father. He relied on the Father. I, I only do the things I see my Father do. I, for apart from the Father, I can do nothing. Why? Because he knew he had the Holy Spirit. He knew that he walked with the Father. Even Jesus, when he prayed over Lazarus, he says, I pray this not for them, but for, their, for, for my sake, but your sake. He said, because I know you always hear me. He wants to walk in our midst. Go to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Thank you, Father. See, just for the sake of time, I'll read it. It says, verse 27, you can mark that. It says, you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel. You'll know that I'm in the midst of Israel. See, he wants to get right in the middle of church with you. He wants to get right in the middle of your life. I'm in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord thy God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. He wants to get right in the middle of your life. And then it says that he doesn't want his people to be ashamed. Hallelujah. Go to Luke chapter 22. I could have probably pulled about 30 scriptures with this, but. Luke 22. Thank you, Father. 27. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table, the master, or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I, Jesus, I'm in the midst of you as one who serves. (laughs) The actual word for this word serve there is minister. I'm the one in the midst of you that serves, that ministers to where you're at, what you're going through. See, we need to let Jesus back into the church. <laughs> you need to let Jesus be what he was. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He, he wants to be a director to you. He, he wants to get right in the middle of life with you. But he's, he talked about in the church of Sardis, he says, he goes, I know your name and I, I know your record. And he goes, he goes, you're, you look like you're alive, but you're living as if you're dead. Verse 1 of chapter 3 of Revelations. And so, so this whole aspect that, that you could be doing things that look good. You'd be doing things that sound good. You could be doing things that, that may be going through the motions on the outside. But is it really living? Is it a really alive? And, and, and so we really have to ask ourselves, are we going to let Jesus walk in our lives? Are we going to walk with Jesus through our lives? Are we going to walk with Jesus? Are we going to let Jesus walk through the aisles of our church? Are we going to let Jesus walk with us when we walk in Walmart? Are we going to let Jesus walk with us when we walk into our homes? Are we going to, oh, going to walk with, are we going to allow Jesus to walk with us when we walk into our place of employment or, or when we place, when we see, as we talk to our clients, are we can let Jesus walk with us. Yes. Hallelujah. Go back to Revelations. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Verse 1 again, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? 
These things said he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He walks in the midst. He says this. He goes, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how you cannot bear with them that are evil. And that you have tried them which say that they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have borne and has patience and for my name's sake have labored and you've not fainted. Now, he, Jesus is saying, you know, it's, it's interesting that Jesus knew everything about the church. He goes, I walk among the churches. And then he goes through and he, he tells them everything that they're doing. He goes, I know your labor. Andrew, I, Andrew, I, I know I know that I know the hurts that you might have. I, I know, I know, yeah, I know you've stood, and I know there there's things that you've experienced, and and I saw that, and you've been you've been persevering, and you've been you've been doing that, and and so see, he was saying that he was really speaking right to them where they were, were and saying, I know your labor, I I know how people did you wrong, I I saw how people persecuted you, and I saw even though that you're being persecuted, he goes, I saw your patience. I saw how you were, you were steady. I saw how you had, your, you had a stake in the ground. And I saw how you weren't movable. And I saw how all these things, I even saw how these apostles came to you and they had all these great words and they had this great revelation and it made you feel good and it tickled your ears and, and all that. But you know what? You understood because you were founded in my word. You understood that they were liars. Yeah. But he, you look, you, the, the, the thing is, is, is Jesus is walking in the midst of the churches. He knows, he knows your successes. He knows your failures. He knows where you dropped the ball. He knows, he knows when you, when you should have stepped out and you didn't. He knows every detail about your life. And he was talking to the church of Ephesus. This is the church of Ephesus he's talking to. Same way with the church of the living God. And, he, and, and yet, yet he gets to this place and he goes, I've seen all the amazing things you're doing. He goes, you even have the same heart that I have about the Nicolaitans. I mean, you're, you're, you see things the way I see them. He goes, nevertheless, I have something against you. Meaning, you're doing a lot of good things, Ephesus. You're doing, a, you're doing a lot of great things, but there's one thing I have against you. He goes, you've left your first love. And I believe as a, as a church, and we need to analyze all our own hearts individually, where's your first love? Where, where is your first love? What, what, because see, do you treat Jesus the way you treat the church? Do you treat Jesus the way you treat his church? Mm. Well, praise the Lord. It's really quiet in this church right now. You see, you see, we, ha- you have to, we have to make church about two things, the person and the purpose. You have to make church about two things, the person and the purpose. And any time you let go of one of those, if you, if you hold on to one of them, you'll become legalistic. If you just hold on the other one, you'll become lawless. Because you have to understand, we have to make it about the person. And understanding that the person is what's going to lead us into our purpose. Church is a big deal. He's the head of the church. 
Don't talk bad about his church. Don't talk bad about another person's church. Don't talk bad about another denomination. Don't talk bad. It's not up to you to be the watchdog of all denominations. It's, 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 it's up to you to get connected to the church that God's called you to be in. He walks in the churches and he sees everything that's going on. And he saw the areas they were successful. He saw the areas that they were flourishing and the things they did well. But but he says this main thing, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. You've left your first love. Meaning you've made it about the ministry. And you've made it about everything you're doing. You've gotten busy with all these other things. And you forgot about your first love. There's a lot we could talk about concerning first love Love, it's recognizing the value of an object or a person in great esteem, wonder, awe, or admiration. See, it's recognizing, understanding the value of something. When you got up this morning, how weighty was your understanding of Jesus this morning when you woke up? When you came into this house as a corporate believers, how weighty was Jesus this morning in your life? Because that's what love, this word love there is, is agape. You left your first love. How weighty, how, how in awe and honor and wonder are you of Jesus? It's a love that knows no limits. It knows no boundaries. It knows, it knows no end of sacrifice. It's highest. It's love. Is, it's the highest. It's the finest. It's the most noble. It, 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 it's really taking people back to the place where where you, that, that experience you had when you first met Jesus. Your first love. I mean, there's on and on we could talk about it. And I'm not, I'm not here to condemn you this morning and, and saying that you need to get on fire for Jesus. I, this is, this, it's a personal walk with him. I'm just wanting you to, to get back to the place of recognizing Jesus wants to walk in the midst of your life. And he wants to be a part. Of this church. Another aspect of this word love. Is if you look at this word love in the, in the Hebrew. It's not just ad, uh, admiration or, or this great awe. There's another word for this word used there. And it's the word love feasts. Love feasts. Look it up in the Hebrew. And you're going to see one of the definitions is love feasts. What is the love Feast. Communion. What is communion? Communion is the intermingling of two lives. What is he telling the church of Ephesus? He's he's saying, you're doing all these amazing things. He said, but you've left your first love. You've left the love feast. Meaning you have made it about ministry and you stopped making it about my sacrifice. You've made it about ministry and you stopped making it about me. Go to Acts chapter 2, and I'll close with this. Acts chapter 2. The love feast, your first love, where it first began, 
what you first learned, what you first established, or even let us look at it this way, how, what happened when the church first began? How did the New Testament church, how did they live? How did they demonstrate their first love? Worship team, you can come back up. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hmm. Let me start. Let's do. Let's look at verse thirty-eight. Then Peter said to them, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall be you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you. So this Holy Ghost is unto you." It's unto your children, and it's to all that are far off, that's you and me, and even to many as the Lord God shall call. Is God still wanting people to come to him? That means the Holy Spirit is still for today. Verse 40, and with many other words did they testify and exhort, saying, save yourself from this untoward generation or crooked generation. Verse 41, then they that gladly received the word were baptized. In the same day, they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Man, soon as this happened, what happened? 3,000 souls got saved. Wow. Man, I haven't preached a message yet where 3,000 people got saved. Wow. Man, you talk about a move of God. Jesus was in the midst. (laughs) Amen. Now, verse 42, and they continued. They continued. Whether it could be the disciples, whether it's the 3,000, they continued steadfastly. I mean, this is steadfast, consistently, continually, on a continual basis, daily, part steadfast. I mean, this was a part of their lifestyle. This was a part of how they lived. They, they continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayer. What's breaking of bread? It's communion. And fear came upon every soul. Man, what was that? It was just awe. It was a reverence for God. It was this overwhelming awe of God. Because they, they, were, they were all of a sudden aware and consumed with the fact that Jesus has changed their life. And every time they would, they would hear the apostles' doctrine, every time they would have the fellowship, every time they had the breaking of bread, every time they were praying, they were being consumed with this aspect of Jesus, this aspect of what took place, this aspect of eternity, this aspect of heaven, this aspect of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. That's church alive. Hallelujah. I believe, I believe signs and wonders and miracles. I believe those things haven't stopped. I believe those things should be happening all the time. I believe they should always be happening, not just inside the church, but outside the church. Hallelujah. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men. Every man had need. And they continued, what? They continued daily, continued daily with one accord in the temple. And breaking a bread from hell. So not only did they continue daily in the temple, they came to church every day. Wow. <laughs> I'll stop there. Every day. And breaking a bread. See, break, this breaking a bread, this communion was, was a daily thing in their hearts. Daily thing. What, what were they? They were keeping it alive in front of them. They were, they were keeping Jesus the main thing. Keeping Jesus the big deal. Why? Because church is a big deal. They continued in the temple 
Hallelujah. And breaking of bread and from house to house. We've got Thrive Groups tonight. <laughs> thrive Groups tonight. If you're not in a Thrive Group, get into a Thrive Group. Not only went in the church, but they, they were breaking bread and, and they continued from house to house. And they did eat their meat with gladness. Now get this, and singleness of heart. Singleness of heart. Man, that's where I want to get to. That's where I want to get to in my life. Singleness of heart. Because it seems like in life it's so easy to to make it about so many other things and have our hearts filled with so many other things that it's hard to get us to a place where we're at singleness of heart. I believe the church progressed, exploded, expanded. I mean, I used some of those things earlier. What is the church alive? It's seen in the encounters. It's seen in the evidence. It's seen in passion. It's seen in the praise. It's seen in its reach. It's seen in its loving up and its loving out. And these are things that we're going to be talking about and unpacking. But the singleness of heart. Everyone stand to your feet. Ushers, you can, we're going to take communion this morning. Singleness of heart. Hallelujah. Singleness of heart. Singleness. You know, when it comes to my wife and I, I don't want my wife to have a divided heart. You know what? And my wife doesn't want to be in competition with anyone else. Some of the biggest problems that, that I believe we face is we, we pursue so many things, other things, but singleness of heart. My wife wants to be the only one. The only one. She doesn't want me looking at other women. She doesn't want me hanging out with always with, with hanging out with friends all the time she doesn't want she doesn't want it she don't want to she doesn't want a heart to be divided and just from the reality and the understanding of of when Jesus was talking to the church of Ephesus and he was saying, you left your first love. What I sense is, is there's somehow, some way your heart's been divided some way. He said, you did doing all these things. Great. But you know what? This, there's this first love. The reason why you began on this journey in the first place, something's not connecting. And this, this is way beyond how, how good you can be for Jesus. This is, this is way beyond how good you can pray and how good you can sing. This is just a decision of your heart saying, Father, help me. Holy Spirit, help me have singleness of heart. Show me in my life where, where my heart and my attention has been divided. Show me in my life with you, God, how in Jesus, how, how my heart can be single. You know, and it's so subtle. I, I remember when, when, I, when I first got born again, man, I... 
man, there was something. I, even I went back and, and started partying and, and stuff like I, like I had been. And, but all of a sudden, something happened on the inside of me where, where I was doing these other things before. Now I'm in the party scene and, and, and I'm still, wait a minute, I don't feel right. Something's not right now. I, I don't fit here. Because all of a sudden it was like, now my heart was like, was, this is not where you belong. This is not who you are. Yeah, it may be who you've been, but it's not who I created you to be. And it was, it, I've been on a journey for 25 years of, of pursuing Jesus. Have I, have I, have I been hundred percent? No. Have I failed? Yes. Have I made mistakes? Yes. But we should always come back to the point of the first love. First love. As we take communion by the Holy Spirit, I believe your first love is going to be rejuvenated. I believe if you never experienced God to begin with, His presence in a tangible way, I believe as, 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 as we take communion this morning, I believe something is, you're going to sense something living and something alive. And I think there's even some in here, you're like, there's something different about the atmosphere here. It's his presence. And as a church, as we go forward into 2018 and days of glory, days of flourishing, days of abounding, you know what? It's, you know, we talked about the faithful will flourish. That was last year's thing. But, and, and still continue to talk about that. Continuing. Continuing to pursue him. Continuing with him with singleness of heart. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love that you have for us. Thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you're walking in our midst. You're here. You're here. And right now we yield our hearts to you. We yield our hearts to you. I'm just gonna have you repeat some things after me. Just repeat this after me. Father God, I bring my heart to you today. I repent where my heart may have been divided. This morning. My desire is to have singleness of heart. My desire is to come back to my first love. Rejuvenate, revive a passion on the inside of me. Thank you, Father. Jesus, as you're in the midst of us, I thank you that you are walking down, down, uh, up and down every single aisle as you walked in the churches in the book of Revelations. And I thank you as we take communion this morning. I, I thank you that your presence will manifest in and on our lives today. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We come to you. Hallelujah. We come back to our first love. Oh, thank you, Father. 
Hallelujah. We not lose our wonder of Jesus. Not lose our wonder of Jesus. So when he walks into the room, everything changes. When he steps into your life, everything changes. When you allow Jesus to step into your life and step into your moment, everything changes. Let him walk into your room. Let him walk into your life. Let him walk into your church. Let him walk in everywhere that you go. Zephaniah 3, I know you read there a lot, but um, (laughs) verse 16 says, In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, which represents the church, let not your hands sink down or be slow and listless. The Lord your God is in the midst of you. (sighs) Don't don't put your hands down. Don't, Don't. Don't allow the enemy to cause you to be depressed, shame. See, it says here, it says, don't let your hands sink down or be slow and listless. The Lord your God is in the midst of you. He's in the midst of you. He's in the midst of your life. And then it, says, then it tells us who he is. He says, a mighty one, a savior who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction. And his love, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. He will exalt over you with singing. I will gather those belonging to you, those Israelites in captivity. I will gather those belonging to you. Do you have any children that are away from God? Do you have any children? It says here, I will gather those belonging to you. Do you have ones belonging to you? That aren't serving God says, I will gather those belonging to you, those Israelites in captivity who yearn and grieve for the solemn assembly and the festivals on whom their exile, inability to attend services at Jerusalem have brought derision and the reproach of its burden. Behold, at that time, I will deal with those that afflict you. I will save the, the limping ones. Verse 20. And at that time, I will bring you in. Yes, at that time, I will gather you. For I will make you a name and a praise among all the nations of the earth when I reverse your captivity before your eyes, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Don't let your hands sink down, but you continue to lift your hands up. Why? Because he's in the midst of you. Jesus is in the midst of your life. Let him walk through your life. Let him guide you. Let him direct you. Let him be Jesus to you. Let him be everything that you have need of. Hallelujah. Say, I'm a church that's alive. Say, we are a church that's alive. Give him a shout of praise. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good.